2: Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett.
1: What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by Magnanimous Rentals cameras lenses lights and much more at the lowest rental rates online magnanimous rentals every order submitted at magrents.com that's m-a-g-r-e-n-t-s.com every order submitted receives a discount inexpensive production essentials ship right to your door magrents.com go magnanimous Listen, I've been working with Magnanimous Rentals for a few years, and I love it. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have a production trip, which I travel at least once a month or so, and I pack my bags and my luggage with my clothes, I hop on my plane, I reach my destination, I get to my hotel or my Airbnb, and boom, my equipment is there waiting for me nicely packaged up. My cameras, my lenses, tripods, lights, I didn't have to travel with any expensive or heavy equipment, and it just made everything a breeze. I do my shoot. I knock it out of the park, I pack the equipment back into the packaging it came in, and I stop by UPS or FedEx on the way back to the airport, and boom, it's back on its way to Magnanimous Rentals. Super easy, super affordable. And listen, if you have a production in-house for your business, and you can't justify purchasing camera equipment, this is a perfect affordable alternative for you guys. Rent the equipment that you need, and then send it back. Magnanimous Rentals, go check them out at MagRents.com. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Six Second Stories, where we help you maximize your impact through short form storytelling. Do you think that you could benefit from some tips on how to be a better writer? Do you think that you could learn from how to market in the healthcare industry a little bit better? Do you work with or for a nonprofit? If any of those are you, then I think that you will love this episode. All of those. Happened to be me, and they also happen to be my guest today today. I'm talking with Annie Beth Brown Donahue now coincidentally, Annie Beth and I grew up together. I've known her. we went to high school together, we were in show choir together. She was a few years older than I was she's I guess she still is I think that's how time works um but so we weren't super close, but, um, you know, we were in the same school, small town. So we knew each other and I was always really impressed with her. Actually. Uh, I actually told my mom recently, um, that we were working together on something and she, she responded, she said, you, you always did like her. And it's true. I did. I was, I was impressed with her. She's super smart. She's super talented. Uh, she was in musicals and things like that. And, um, but we, we just, we'd, you know, I think she was maybe a senior or a junior when I was a freshman, so we knew each other, but I was an idiot at that time, you know, so who knows, who really knows each other when you know each other's high school selves, right, hopefully, um, so as the years went on, Facebook and social media helps us um, kind of reconnect with people from our past, Annie Beth and I, like, we just realize that there's this a lot of overlap in the worlds that we existed in. She's a writer, specifically a healthcare writer and consultant and uh, and works works with uh, people in the healthcare industry on writing and content marketing and things like that and also has founded a nonprofit. So she was in the nonprofit space. And a lot of the things that I would just be talking about, or she would be talking about on Twitter or Facebook, we just realized we always were commenting to each other's posts and questions and and things that we were working on. So I, I don't know, we just always had like deep conversations over Facebook Messenger. And then um, you know, she, she would be in town and we would, um we'd have lunch, or get coffee and just chat about the things that we were doing. And every time it was like this conversation you're about to hear where we're just kind of nerding out and, and going off and getting excited and getting passionate and, and and experiencing these parallels in our lives and what we're like figuring out as we both grow older uh, and wiser and more mature. Um, And it was just really neat because we've become really close lately. And I had to talk to her when, when I realized that we were going to start the podcast. I was like, well, this I definitely want to talk to her because a lot of my clients are in, in the healthcare industry. And many of them are nonprofits, and this is exactly someone who I think could help the listeners of the podcast. So uh, Annie Beth is an amazing human being. She's got a lot of stuff that she'll tell you about on the podcast. So she's got a book coming out and many, many other projects. And if you have the opportunity to take a workshop from her or learn from her, do it. And I'm going to help you learn from her right now. So I'm going to shut up so you can hear what she has to say. Here's my friend, Annie Beth Brown Donahue. I knew her as Annie Beth. Check it out. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I mean, we chat about this kind of stuff all the time anyway. Um, but, yeah. you, know, what, what we, you know, when I had lunch with you when you were here in Durham, you said this term that I haven't been able to get out of my head, uh, business creatives or, you know, and I love that. I love that because that's specifically who I talk to when I'm dealing with nonprofits and and companies that are looking to do mostly visual or video storytelling. And I try to use the, you know, skills and tactics. I learned the hard way through indie filmmaking for over a decade and, and teach them those things so that they can use them and maybe learn the easy way. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but m- most of what I focus on with them is if they sharpen that that blade, that skill of storytelling, then the other things are a little bit easier. But if they learn how to build that that foundation, and you and I link up in in that realm, kind of in a in a lot of different places, I work with a lot of nonprofits. You know what that's like. I work specifically with a lot of healthcare nonprofits. You know exactly yes. what that's about. And then you're also a writer and storyteller uh, in your second and third lives. And so there's a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. But um, just to kind of catch everybody else up that, that is listening, where does storytelling find itself in in your life at the at the moment?
2: So, I am a healthcare writer. And I also am the author of a middle grade mystery called No Clues You Lose. So I write both nonfiction and fiction. That said, as you know, nonfiction is best told in a narrative format. So when you're working with clients, especially healthcare clients, it's really important to find the stories. Um, and blogs, I mean, yeah, it's great to have the top five ways to X, Y, Z. But if you really want to connect with your audience, you're going to need the stories.
1: And, and, and I mean, this is exactly where I want to go with this. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that I, I'm working uh, with clients on and the stuff that I really enjoy doing. That piece that you said, connecting with people, it's, it's, it's everything, right? Right. How have you found the best – what's the best way to do that in this specific – Healthcare medical you know realm right because it's it's a little bit different than me just finding inspiring stories they they are there but how do you approach it differently from the medical uh, mindset
2: so a lot of times even if you are doing a story you're also conveying information exactly and I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna give an example for the nonfiction and also in the fiction realm with my book because in the book the story, um, the main characters are children on a wheelchair basketball team. So hang with me for a second. <laughs> the first example is in the nonfiction healthcare realm. Here's an example. I wrote a blog post for an electric, um, electronic medical records company about why patients don't use the portal. The, you, know, you know the portal that you're always getting the handouts on and what you sign up for and you don't really use it. <laughs> yes,
0: yes.
2: So, um, this was for physicians. It was a physician facing article, but I told it in a story format and I told the story of a man, um, like a middle aged older man who gets handed this brochure about the portal and is, you know, encouraged to use it. And then I talked about his life situation and reasons that he found it intimidating, mm-hmm. you know, his background, uh, maybe his discomfort with technology, maybe the, the reasons he didn't see the value in using it or setting it up. And then the story ended with the man asking his daughter to help him set up an account. Mm-hmm. And so by the end of it, he had come full circle and decided that he didn't want to give it a try. And at the end, we included, so you know there's always a call to action mm-hmm. at the end of a blog post. So there was the story, and then at the end there was a call to action to physicians and companies as to what they could do to encourage their patients to use the portal, and so it was, you know, maybe have a helpline they can call to have someone talk them through setup, because just handing out materials that are printed, that's not really, you know, that's going to get thrown in the trash cans. Yeah. So right. So we use, and a lot of times we'll break the story down into three segments. It was a blog post, so it had it had subheaders. Mm-hmm. So there's an intro. There were like three subheaders. That talked about things in his life that caused him to not want to use the portal, and then there was a call to action at the end, telling healthcare providers what they could do to encourage their patients to use their portal.
1: So I have a lot of questions. Sure. Um, first, let's let's stay with the health healthcare tip. Do you find do you find that sometimes it's a struggle? to get people to understand the importance of narrative and storytelling in that field? Because you're right. It's so much information and there's important information that needs to get conveyed. Mm -hmm. Have you found it hard to get people to understand why storytelling is as effective as it is? Absolutely. (laughs) There's a
2: lot of pushback. Yeah. Why
1: do you think that is?
2: I don't think that they understand the impact, the emotional impact of storytelling mm-hmm. and I don't think they understand the psychology of the emotional impact of storytelling because if we learn something and it has an emotional impact on us we will retain that information and then we often will act on it because we've retained it and I think that that maybe people think well that's just fluff you know that's not we need to get it down to the nuts and bolts they want um, something that looks like a a uh, how-to guide, or you know, bullet points, dun-dun-dun. And that's great, and it's concise, and if I was looking something up in a book and needed to find information fast, that's a nice format. But if you're really trying to get me to understand the importance of something, then I need it in a story format.
1: And so how do you convince them?
2: <laughs> it's It's difficult. I mean, you can, so, as a freelancer you have clients so you can talk to clients and you can show them evidence about you know the psychology of storytelling which we've tried to do but sometimes people just want what they want and are resistant to change so i will say that it can be difficult because there are definitely people and clients that that just aren't aren't ready for it yet
1: yeah what's some of the, I mean, this is a whole other can of worms, but something I'm really that I really nerd about, nerd out about lately, is the psychology and science of storytelling. So, are there a couple of things that you may use, or your kind of go to things, if somebody's like, well, "All right, well, sell me on this storytelling idea." I hear what you're saying. I think it's a little fluff, but like you got 60 second elevator ride like what's top one or two or three things from the psychology of storytelling that you think would convince me to go with this narrative you're talking about
2: oh i don't know if i can do that in 60 seconds That's all right. well, well, <laughs> i don't have an elevator pitch what's, pit what's,
1: <laughs> <and> what's <laughs> some of the what's some of the bigger like co- you know column like pillars of the psychology of, of storytelling because you've already hit a couple that i like which is People will connect with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot, a lot easier. I mean, they empathize with it, a lot of things like that. But is there is there some science that that you have kind of, you know, in your grasp that you can throw? Because a lot of people, especially in the medical field, they're going to need evidence. They're going to need data. You Absolutely. know, you need to prove it. You can't just say like, oh, because storytelling just it it, it makes it makes people understand the information more. Like they want to know. And so, what I've learned in that is like. I have like research to show them, you know, right. if I can. So I didn't know if there if there were a few that you really liked. That I was like, oh, here's a little thing about the psychology of storytelling that I think resonates and makes sense uh, to to anybody quickly.
2: Well, you could think about the word. Um, so the word stereotype often has a bad con- connotation.
0: Sure.
2: But speaking from a psychology standpoint. The reason our brain actually has uh, types, maybe we should say types instead of stereotypes, because that might sound a little (laughs) more literary, but our brain has types in it. And it's how we organize information Mm. and how we decide if people are trustworthy, safe, reliable, uh, if they're like us, basically. Mm. Mm. So when we see things that trigger this like us um, file in our brain, then we automatically, it's the no like, trust. So you automatically know, like, trust this person because you think they are like you. So if you can identify, um, if you can, so, okay, so let's say you're a physician and you wanna connect with um, your specialist and you wanna connect with, say, cancer patients. If you find the ideal avatar or the ideal, uh, you know, person that you are trying to serve, And you find things that are very specific to that person, and you can incorporate them into your story, those details into your storytelling. Then that person's gonna read that or hear that, and they're gonna recognize themselves. And when they recognize themselves, it triggers that file in their brain, that type in their brain that says, This person is safe or trustworthy because I identify something about myself with them, therefore I can. Um, you know, I might want to go see this doctor or invest in that service or, you know, you, you've identified with that person um, on uh, on a subconscious level almost.
1: Does yeah, that make sense? Totally. It comes back to human connection. You know, I love that. Uh, this is something I say, too, about the characters that we I mean, this is essentially what you're saying. Just another way to say it. The characters that we create, whether making a film or uh, a a fiction uh, book story, um, character, I often tell people to create characters that people can relate to. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily that they don't just have to like them. Liking is good, but it's more about the relating to them. Yeah, right. So if I can, Mm -hmm. like you said, if you can see yourself in that person, like that's that's everything. That's everything. So that that was perfect. That was exactly what I was asking for. Um, I want to go back to. I'm excited to talk to you, too, because a lot of, um, you know, I come from a, a visual storytelling background, so a lot of who I talk to and what I talk about tends to be, you know, from that perspective. So I like talking about written storytelling, especially with the blogs with you. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm excited to to have you on. But um, let's go back to the blog that you were talking about. Um, and, you know, you mentioned having the subheaders,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I wanted to talk about, you know, pe- people when they see, like, you know, there's definitely research to show when you see big blocks of text, you're immediately like, oh, yeah. no, and how, <laughs> how, like, valuable white space is when they're seeing stuff. And that makes me kind of want to think about, you know, brevity and, like, and, and the importance of getting your message across quickly. You know, I do a lot of short form video. Um, how important is it, first of all, first, you know, two part question. How important is it to be brief and get your point ac- across quickly? And then two, how do you do that when you got a lot of information to convey?
2: So that's a great question. And there's a lot of debate on the internet right now mm-hmm. as to, let's, we'll just keep this blog post specific sure. because that's easy to, to use as an example. Uh, what is the perfect length of the blog post? And here are the parameters. It can't be under 300 words because Google doesn't, um, won't Google crawlers don't like that. If it's under 300 words, that's too short. You're spam. 500 is a pretty common. Um, it's a pretty common length. 500 to 800 words is a standard blog post length. 1000, To 2,000 is considered more long form. And the interesting thing about this is that while most readers don't prefer long form, they want it in the 500 to 800 word count range. Long form is starting to perform better. And some of that has to do with it being what is called cornerstone content. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about, if you have a lot of good information, so this may be, let's say you you have a post, and it's a lot of really solid information, and it is longer, and people are going to come to that one post time after time after time again. So it's not just this weekly thing that you threw out updating people about something. This is a this is your content that is being um, referenced over and over again by a lot of different people. So that's okay for it to be longer.
1: What about um, do you have any knowledge about white papers? I mean, a lot of people are using that tactic too now to have these kind of, that's even longer, you know, yeah. but to, it's, it's, it's kind of to have their, it's more research based and not so blog yeah. posty, but they're becoming really popular uh, now for marketing tools. Um, do you have any experience with that or any, any thoughts on those?
2: I don't personally do white papers, although a lot of my, um, the people I work with in the healthcare marketing network, they write the white papers for people. And I think, but I think it kind of falls in the same category as like the e book or the mm-hmm. journal article. Right. It's a little closer and, to them. Right. And I do write, I actually write um, medical trainings, mm-hmm. and they're long. They're like 2,000, 3,000 words. And right. But I mean, that's almost like having a printed thing just digitally, yeah. you know, being able to access it digitally, basically, in yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's basically like an e book. Um, so it's not that viral content that you're going to have, throw them all up on Facebook and, you know,
1: I like the concept. I mean, I like the concept of those, the cornerstone content that you know, you said that the people tend to keep coming back to it. And I think that will resonate with people because I certainly like, I have a picture in my head of like articles that stand out to me like that. Some just have that single serving bit of motivation or tips right. that I might like, you know, Monday morning at eight o'clock. And then some... I've referred back to you know ten times to say like how many you know
0: right, how, right. what was the,
1: the the data on that so that's I think that's really good tangible advice for people um, to have that cornerstone content out there. Um,
2: and I'd like to say something about your please. white space because when yes. it's long like that, especially yes, you need subheaders. Usually several within one blog post. And
1: can you just explain what subheaders are? for us?
2: Oh. Sure, I think of it as H2, but that's not helpful to people. <laughs> so a subheader, you've got your title which is your big um, you know, the big title at the top, and then as you read down, usually you see like a little break in the blog post and there's like a, a mini title, a section header, maybe you think of it like that. It's, you know, or
1: like a headline
0: uh,
2: kind of. Yeah, kind of. So. Yeah. Um you, I would, it's, a, it's a header.
1: It's, you know? it's usually like a different font or bolder font or something like that? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's a bolder font. It's slightly larger. So when I say H2, that's computer speak for the header size. Um, it means it's it's a bigger size than the normal Got it. text that you're reading. Mm-hmm. So, right. And then it breaks it up and it helps you skip down. So if you're looking for a certain section.
1: And correct then, me if, if, if I'm wrong, but... Would those kind of serve as like the bullet points or the summaries of that next section? So if I were just skimming, would I be able to just read those subheaders and kind of get the gist, or know that like okay, this is the section that I want to dive into because I'm specifically want to learn about you know six second ads on YouTube.
2: That's a great question because the answer to that is you should have a subheader that lets people know, that's a teaser basically, it lets people know what's ahead but it doesn't give away the information. Mm. Otherwise people won't read your article. If you summarize the information in the header, they're going to read that and think they know what it's all about. So you want to have something that's just enough information to know what, what's ahead but still is a teaser so that they actually have to read it.
1: That is amazing advice. What other jewels like that do you have for blog writing?
2: Um, I also see a lot of people who, even with, even though they use the subheaders, and they break up their text that way. The text underneath the subheader or between the subheaders is still in too big of a chunk. Mm-hmm. So what's optimal?
1: You, because you know, I have a weekly column, and I think about I've totally implemented that strategy of like there's a lot of paragraphs that are one mm-hmm. sentence, uh, yes. and some of those one sentences are four words. You know, just for maximum impact. And I still struggle with that, like, you know, I can see it visually, you know, mm-hmm. so it, weigh, it needs to weigh a certain amount to me and not be so heavily uh, out of out of balance. But is there like a what's the optimal paragraph for a blog post? You know, we're not writing a novel here, so like exactly, you know, or an
2: essay for school, which right. most of us were taught, you know, the standard exactly. five paragraph essay, right? Yeah. Didn't you mention that on one of your other podcasts? I think you did.
1: I, I, yeah, I think so because that's you know I try to take the structure of the, the structure of storytelling is those things those those big rules that we learned, but now we have to like figure out how to format it best. And this is perfect conversation for social media because every platform is going to dictate a different you know formation, and we need to like be conscious of that and and optimize it for that platform. So with a blog, because I struggle with this when I have my longer paragraphs like where would you like to cut it? Is it two sentences, three sentences?
2: Exactly. So instead of thinking in sentences, think in lines. Mm. um, And also think in thoughts. So in the past, a paragraph would be something like uh, you'd introduce your thought, you'd have some supporting material, and then you'd conclude that paragraph, right? And you might have five or six sentences in one paragraph. Now, a paragraph, well, not now, but... On the web, (laughs) put it that way. Not now everywhere, but on the web you should have a paragraph that is literally one thought. Yes. And that that may be two or three sentences max or lines, I should say. I would don't have a, a paragraph on the web that's longer than four lines, if you can help it. Three is ideal. And the one sentence is perfect when you like you were talking about to emphasize something. If you scatter those in periodically Um, then that's a really great technique as well. But yeah, don't go over three or four lines. There is, I had, let me see if I can find this gem for you, if I can remember it. It's one thought in two to three sentences in no more than four lines. I think that's what it was. One thought Mm. in no more than two to three sentences and and, and in no more than four lines. It was a one, two, three, four something that I had written somewhere (laughs) Hopefully that's helpful.
1: So are you, um, are you like a work for hire for medical publications or do you have your own channel or what kind of medical pieces do you write exactly?
2: So I was mostly writing blogs for medical companies Right. And, and one of the things we look at a lot is plain language for the medical community.
1: Please say more about that. That is so important. And as a filmmaker, I have to do that often when I'm interviewing a doctor or, or anybody. But please yeah, say more about that.
2: Yeah, it is really important. And we want to avoid medical jargon and pharmaceut- pharmaceutical terms that the everyday person wouldn't understand. Now, the thing that people get confused about is they think that that means you use less
1: words.
0: Mm.
2: Plain language does not necessarily mean less words. Sometimes it means more words because you are taking one really long
1: right, right.
2: technical term. Yeah, like
1: 10-syllable word and using right. 10 one-syllable right. words to
0: explain
2: exactly, it. Exactly, right. So then you end up with maybe a longer piece of text, but it's understandable. And I always tell people to shoot for a fifth-grade reading level.
1: Yeah, because I've heard that exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah, the majority of Americans are at a fifth-grade reading level.
1: And also, when we're so familiar with it, whether it be it being the story or mm-hmm. the content, right? You know, this is something I deal with all the time in filmmaking. Is like, okay, I've cut the scene or touched the scene fifty times. Like, I know the characters inside and out. I know the words they're saying inside and out. If I were uh, absorbing this for the first time, would I put those pieces together? uh, would I know that that's who is talking about, you know, this person? Would I even know what they're saying? You know, I know what they're saying because I've heard it so many times. And so, right. you know, the, the, the people are often going to, um, get that information or that story or that film or whatever once, maybe a few times, but they're, they're never going to touch it as many times as we do. And so often too, it's, it's, are the, is it going to hit with them? You know? So, explaining it as simply as possible i i off i on, on raise up i had to do a lot of work of whittling it down because there was a lot of kind of inner play inner baseball as a writer friend of mine said um infield baseball um with the characters that these little nuanced you know relationships that i understood because i've been following these people for five years and i ex- <laughs> you can't expect someone to sit down for the first time and watch this movie and get a hold of that they'd be totally confused. So it brings me back to, you know, a point that I often emphasize which is simplicity is is key.
2: Exactly. It is. And you always have to to watch your language and see did I use something that's industry specific? Mm-hmm. So not just for the medical field, not just for healthcare, even for nonprofit or for business people who say things like ROI and mm-hmm. CTR, you know? Not everyone knows who that is or, or what that means. Not everyone um, is familiar with your particular industry, or maybe they are, but they're brand new and they're mm-hmm. still learning. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I, I remember being on set when I was just starting, and and like, you know, you just there's certain people in any industry that they want to like, <laughs> you know flaunt that you know they've paid their dues so they want to flaunt that that jargon and and throw out those keywords that they know you don't understand when you're just a production assistant and hopefully there's a nice (laughs) person that's just like they mean this (laughs) you know But i never understand that uh when people just speak as if the other person automatically knows what something to some people roi is the simplest thing in the world but if it's someone not in the business field they may not know they may know return on investment they may have heard that. they just don't know the acronym
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: So, um, so, you know, I said this thing, simplicity is key. And I I definitely, like, try to emphasize that any chance that I can. But it begs the question, how do you juggle being um, simple Mm -hmm. but also driving the information you need to and also being profound or, or being impactful? You know, like, how do you use few amount of words and keep the messaging simple but still get it to do what you need it to do like functionally and also like have an effect so it latches on to people
2: right and that so that's a great question because that comes down to word selection mm. a lot of times and that's where when you're editing um you're gonna really so that that's more of an editing
1: so thing. what, so what when kind you... of words land like that I mean, is it about colorful adjectives and, 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 and painting? Right,
2: strong verbs. Yeah, I think I heard you say it was. it's Hemingway, you know, who hates the adverbs, right? Because if you have to use an adverb, then that means that you didn't have a strong enough verb. Mm-hmm.
1: I tell you, ever since I heard that, anytime I write something with an L-Y on the end of it, it's like, yep, yep. I, dub, I think about it twice. I'm like, how... How much do I want to use that that word? You know, because right, that, that right. resonated with me. Yeah, strong verbs. That's that's good. I mean, because they and they show action, which is everything.
2: Yep, exactly. Um, there are there's a ton of little tricks that you can use um, if you're really sitting down to edit a piece, where you highlight like all your nouns in one color and all your verbs in another, and you just examine uh, them. And I, I use hacks like I used online tools like Hemingway Editor. Mm. And Grammarly, mm-hmm. and they will call you out <laughs> on your excessive adverb usage.
1: <laughs> Does anything call you out on redundancies? That's a big one I find in editing documentaries. Is hey, you had three lines say the same, effectively the same message. Cut Grammarly- two of them.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. You mean like the general message of the same words? Because that gets me, Both. I see people use.
1: Both. I mean, so oftentimes people people literally, you know, will say the word really, you know, it was really this, it was really that, or any any word, even the nouns and verbs, uh, if you're using the same thing, like that's the way to get people to tune out, you know, you got to still keep them engaged. And one way I think to do that, like I say this visually to people that I'm coaching, change up your shots have a variety variety of shots mm-hmm. I think in, in text it's the same with words right
2: right I agree and when I'm just if when I'm editing myself I try to pay attention to that did I just use that same word two sentences ago right but for uh, editing tools grammarly I have the paid version so I can't really speak to the free version I'm not sure what all it includes mm-hmm. but I know that the paid version that I use, does call you out on redundancies That's cool. it'll say like you used this word you know earlier in the paragraph here and it'll give you suggestions for um similar words that you could switch it up with and then with the Hemingway app it will show you if your sentences are too long and complex and it'll suggest breaking up your sentences and it will actually tell you your grade level your reading level as well so that's that's handy yeah
1: yeah you may or may not want to use that app (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh, it tells you the grade level that you're writing at. So the goal yeah, is to be lower. It doesn't yeah, just tell you, you like. Yeah, you just want to
2: uh, be lower, right? So you make sure that you're not um, using too much complex language. You. I thought
1: you were saying that it will tell you if you're basically a second grader.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, this has been like super, super helpful. Like tons of, of actual advice and not just kind of theory that we're talking about. Um, Where's the overlap for you? Because I'm very interested. I actually put a post out about, that was probably a year ago now, but I'm very interested in, I want to tell fictional stories and, and non-fiction. I mean, I can't escape the non-fiction. That's been my career. But, uh, you know, I often think about, like, who are people that have done that well, like, existed on both sides of that fence. So what's some of the overlap that you see in your medical writing, which is very specific and very, like, has a very specific purpose, and... Your fiction writing where it's really about really about story. I mean I know there's information right. you want to get across to and people you want to resonate with, but what's the storytelling Venn diagram there?
2: So um, I feel like because I do have a lot of the medical knowledge, I'm able to write a story that has this is you know the own voices sort of thing that's going on. Um, in publication where uh, because I am a white female, I probably shouldn't write a book about um, Like a Native American man in the 1800s or something. I don't know anything about that. That's not my story to write I can't tell that story if I tried to tell that story it would at best be inauthentic Mm. so it's best to tell the stories that you know So because I do know the medical world and we have firsthand experience with uh, living with children with disabilities, I am able to write a book about children who happen to have disabilities. And that is not the focus of the book. Mm. That's just one of the characteristics. You know, it's, it's, it's who they are, but it's not what the book is about. The book is actually um, it's the first in a mystery series. So the overlap there is that not that this is medical writing, but that I am able to, as we are talking about the the plain language, I'm able to weave that information into the story in a way that it's not noticeable. It's noticeable, I mean, you're gonna see it, but it's not gonna stand out, it's not what the book's about, it's not, um, right, it's not a book about disability, but I can realistically portray an everyday scenario, about those children and what it's like for them just to get in the car so
1: I and and that's what is impactful for the audience and will connect with them and make them understand even if that's an experience that they don't share uh which takes us back I mean that is the perfect overlap it takes us back to conveying that medical information you know I'm I'm doing a series right now for cancer patients and it's about how they psychologically um, deal with a rare cancer diagnosis and of course, it's about their disease, but it's about them. It's about them mm-hmm. as people and how they navig- navigate it. So it's not about what the disease is doing and how they approach the disease, except for how they, you know, what they do to, to psychologically um, approach it. So, um, th- you know, the storytelling component is always like that spoonful of sugar for right. me, right? The medicine is the information we want to get across. Like, yes, we want this series that we're doing to inspire people and to understand that, hey, you can live with this disease and, hey, mm-hmm. it's a little bit uh, insidious and kind of hides and it's hard to diagnose, so, like, see a specialist, et cetera, et cetera. But right. we do that by just telling this authentic story that is that person's story, and that's what the people latch on to, and they get the information that you slide in there. Um, so it's, it's exactly what you, you and I both try to teach people in the medical field to do so i think that's perfect and i love the point about it's not my story to tell i'm dealing with something very similar now where i have an opportunity to to produce an awesome film with a man who was like incarcerated a black man who was incarcerated and kind of unjustly got a you know uh uh way too long of a sentence for a tiny crime and and you know um the rest of his life is just crazy that's a whole other story but the point of it is, is now I'm realizing, because this has been something that's been on my mind a lot lately, that while it, the filmmaker and storyteller and director of me wants to tell that story because it's amazing, there's a lot I'm not going to be able to relate to and never will be able to in terms of what was important, what wasn't. what mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what moments right. should stand out because I will never understand that experience because – I would never get that same sentence for unarmed robbery, you know. Right, um, right. You got two life sentences. Two life sentences Whoa. for unarmed robbery without a weapon. <laughs> um okay. so yeah, like I I would I can pretty I can say pretty confidently I would never get that. So now I'm in the position was like, well, I still want to make this film and I it I think it's on me to find the right person to tell this story that can, you know, Right. tell that human story the way it should be told otherwise like you said at best it's inauthentic exactly
2: Uh, and and for me like it's a story about about kids and you know typically kids don't write books so (laughs) i have to write it because i'm the adult but at least i have the experience of being the parent mm -hmm. and also i have the kids right there telling me like reading the, you know, they're the first beta readers I have. So they can tell that's me awesome. what they would have said or what they would have done. Um, right. So I can at least facilitate the story being told accurately.
1: So it sounds like to be a better storyteller, I think we need to be better listeners, you yeah? know?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's something often, you know, we have the idea of what story we want to tell and what we want to accomplish. Or like you said, the people just want, they just want bullet points and they want it to look like a PowerPoint presentation, but I think it's more, and I always come back to, to this. It's, it's about the people, the audience who it's for, right? And Mm -hmm. listening, listening to what they want. Um, what's next? What are you working on these days?
2: Well, uh, I'm doing a lot with the book right now actually because, Oh, but you know what? Okay. So I'm doing a lot with the book because it's finished. It's been professionally edited and, um, I am querying agents because I want to have a publisher sign on for the entire series Mm -hmm. because I have um, a plan for the series, so that's a big focus right now, but I'm actually shifting my blog in the new year. Um, I did have a freelance writing website where I gave tips to other writers, Mm -hmm. and I kind of got bored of that format of the typical blog post, the five tips and the ten best ways and the top whatever. And um, I'm scrubbing it and I'm actually going to write fiction stories
0: Ooh. and
2: yeah, on a blog and I actually have two things cause I, like I said, I have the fiction me and then I have the, the nonfiction me <laughs> and so I'm going to do it in both arenas. Wow. The fiction me is going to write. Um, so the book is written at a middle grade level. That's like late elementary, early middle school mm-hmm. level. So I'm going to write easy readers, which is a step below that. So children who are below that reading level, I'm going to write them short stories that they can, I'm going to do a YouTube video that accompanies it with me reading the story and then us reading it together and talking about the story and then have where they can read it themselves to someone in their home from the screen or print it out or whatever to kind of do some literacy uh, stuff and get them engaged in the characters because the characters in the blog post are the same characters in the book.
1: It's kind so, of, kind of genius. Where can we find that?
2: Well, it'll be on annabethdonahue dot com in January. It's that doesn't exist right now. I've scrubbed the whole yeah, site. Yeah, I got
1: you. So, we'll <laughs> send don't go there. There. This is coming out. This is coming out uh, after that. I think. Depending, you better hurry up and, and get it. No, this
2: is be. com. Yeah, that is
1: a. Uh, I'm so glad I asked that question. That is really, really cool and wise. I think that's actually a good move. It, would that be considered uh, flash fiction, or is flash fi- fiction shorter than that?
0: Flash
2: fiction is is actually a little bit shorter, okay, but it awesome. could be. And I feel like flash fiction is usually about three hundred words, okay. And these will run to be about five hundred to six hundred. They're like an easy. It'd be like these little books, these little, mm-hmm. um, you know, the little mini books that yes. you get for early readers. Yes, um, that size, and plus black. Flat, let's try again. Flash, <laughs> edit, edit. Flash fiction is for adults. So uh-huh. um, when we're dealing with a story for kids, it's just a short story that's for kids.
0: Gotcha.
2: So have a special
1: name. Gotcha, um, gotcha. But that's still yeah. going to be good practice to work that muscle, right? To, to yes. You know, I think that's really cool. Um, well, I think that we could probably talk for hours about all that sort of stuff, but I also think that my audience is going to have a ton of uh, – I really appreciate too because often I, I get on here and we talk with people just about the bigger concepts and theory, like I said. But, man, you gave yeah. some really good like, actual tangible bits of advice, so I know that they will appreciate that, and I appreciate that. Um, but uh, I will let you go so you can go back and be with your family. Uh, I'm glad to hear that everything that, uh, everything's going good, and I hope you guys have – a good Christmas and I appreciate you. It's good to see you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, I'd like to have you back on sometime soon.
2: Sure. That sounds great. Thanks.
1: My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening and join us next time on the Storytelling Lab.